Thank you for joining us again for our latest episode of KPMG's podcast, The Future of Audit. As always, I'm your host, Larry Bradley, KPMG's Global Head of Audit, and I'm delighted that you're here with us as we dive into current topics facing the audit profession today and how we can be prepared for what's to come. We've got some wonderful guests lined up for you today as we follow up on our first podcast episode, ESG Reporting Standard Setting. In that episode, we took a first look at what was happening at the time in the world of sustainability reporting and the standard setting across the globe and in the U.S. We promised to do more of a deep dive into other jurisdictions, including the European Union, and today we're here to do just that. I'd like to take this opportunity to quickly introduce you to our special guests who are going to spend the next 30 minutes or so giving us some insight into the latest on ESG standard setting across the EU and the U.S., as well as globally, and the opportunities and challenges when it comes to providing assurance. Let me welcome and say hello to Samantha Ross, founder of AssuranceMark, the Investors Consortium for Assurance, and one of the founding staff of the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, or the PCAOB, in the United States. Secondly, we have Mike Shannon, the Global Head of ESG Assurance at KPMG. Finally, Mark Vossen, the Chair of KPMG's Global Corporate and Sustainability Reporting Team from the Netherlands. So, what exactly do we mean by ESG Assurance? Mike, in a few words, can you help set the scene for us and explain to those listening what we mean by ESG assurance and the role that it plays in a world of ESG more broadly? Yeah, thanks so much, Larry. And, and just wow, like what an amazing journey this is shaping up to be. It's incredible to me how quickly ESG has risen to the high level of prominence it has attained in a really short period of time. Along with that, the broader financial and accounting professions, we've all found ourselves right in the middle of all of these ESG activities that are so important politically, socially, economically, emotionally, to such a broad group of global stakeholders. And when it comes to the ESG stakeholders, under the classic financial model, right, the users of financial statements were generally investors, shareholders. Now under the broader stakeholder model, that group consists of investors, employees, supply chain partners, consumers, activists, government, uh, there's a lot of stakeholders that are involved in this important initiative. Uh, I know in a little bit, uh, we're going to talk about the reporting standards and the frameworks that are under develop, development. But even now, as the sustainability information is becoming more important, we're seeing stakeholder demand for that sustainability information to be accurate and reliable and to tell a true story of what a company's position is on the sustainability journey. And with that demand comes what I, I call a market-driven need to have that information assured. As auditors, for a long time, we've been charged with serving the public trust over the accuracy of financial information. With ESG, we're now extending that to assuring the increasingly important sustainability information with the same rigor and focus on quality as we do in a financial statement audit. So, so this is really the start of that journey for all of us and assurance is a really important part of making sure that that information is correct as the journey continues. Mark, I have a follow-up question for you to further set the scene. Where are we at today in terms of global standard setting and the work that the International Sustainability Standards Board has undertaken? 
Yeah, so the uh, the the ISSB was uh, was formed uh, uh, last year in in November. It was announced at uh, at COP26 and. Uh, uh, already got down to work uh, uh, quite actively now. And it was really the establishment of the ISSB was a, a, a means of actually consolidated the market, if you like. So you could see that uh, the SASB and the IRRC uh, together were in the Value Reporting Foundation merging into the ISSB. So we have seen that the number of the existing standard setters are now all coming together in the IFRS uh, Foundation and the ISSB. And uh, they got down to work already, uh, Larry. So they issued two exposure drafts earlier this year, one on uh, climate, which obviously is a topic that is on every, everybody's mind because it's the most urgent issue, I would say. Uh, but also a second one that deals with more general disclosure requirements on significant sustainability risk and opportunities. So they got an overwhelming feedback on, uh, on, on these uh, exposure drafts. Right? More than 1,400 comment letters were received. And what they're at at the moment is really discussing, you know, these uh, the feedback that they have received. So I think there's good progress being made. You know, Mark, the fact that they've already issued two exposure drafts is pretty impressive to me because I come from a world in my career in which standard setting has moved at a glacial pace, right? So what impresses me is really the speed at which things have moved. So I'm going to turn to Sam here in just a second. You know, since our last episode, there's been a number of regional developments in the world of ESG standard setting and assurance, including the SEC in the United States, as well as the EU's non-financial reporting directive. What is the latest from the US and what's the latest from Europe on standard development? What, what's your understanding of how things are coming together, both regionally and globally? So I want to go to you first, Sam, from a U.S. perspective. And then, Mark, you've given us a bit of perspective, but I would also like to get any additional perspective that you got in particular on EU developments. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Larry. I want to start with that. I'm so pleased to be able to talk to you all about this. And I'm so pleased to, you know, really engage with the audit profession to step up and get involved in these issues and, and help uh, investors get more reliable disclosures across the board, whether they're financial or other kinds of disclosures. Um, so your question, in the US, you know, the US has recently become much more active in this space. In March of this year, March of 2022, the US Securities and Exchange Commission proposed a set of uh, mandatory climate disclosures. They proposed them for public comment according to their normal uh, rulemaking process in the United States and the comments were due in June. Similar to what uh, Mark described is going on in, in Europe and the ISSB, there were thousands of comments on these on this proposal. The, I would say on the whole, very, you know, the proposal responded to investor demand and investors were very pleased uh, with the proposal. Investors weighed in, companies weighed in, numerous other constituencies um, weighed in. The SEC is now, as we speak, in the process of analyzing those comments and has announced that they plan to finalize their proposal by the end of 2022. So depending on when you're hearing this podcast, that's that's where um, that's where we are right now where, where, as we're speaking. Now, what's in this proposal? So there are really five big areas that the, climate, the U.S. climate disclosure proposal covers, and they very much leverage the work that has been done over the last 10, 15 years in all of the sort of private sector standard setting that was out there that Mark described that is now being 
consolidated into the ISSB. The SEC tried to take the best of that thinking. I would say in addition to the work that the predecessors of the ISSB did, the SEC really took into account the work of the F, the Financial Stability Disability Board um, Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. And it's very much feathered into the proposal. And the five big areas that the SEC covers are risk disclosures, governance disclosures, strategy, greenhouse gas emissions, because it, you know that sort of the, the critical like test of where company where companies are in terms of their pathway to making them sure their business models are resilient to any kind of um, energy transition. And then the financials, they also included changes to make more transparent the impacts of climate change and the energy transition on financial reporting. As I said, the, you know, the sort of underlying focus that the SEC had was to leverage existing standards that have been developed in the private sector. So I think that helps a lot to kind of maintain alignment. But their focus was also on trying to improve the level of consistency that users of SEC just of you know investors who are the users of the SEC focuses on that users see in the disclosures that they get from companies so that driving more consistency was a primary goal and then also driving reliability so critical to that reliability piece that I think is so um, important and really just momentous on the part of the SEC, a really positive development is that the SEC proposed to have some of the disclosures in the front end of an SEC filing. So, you know, the back end would have the financial statements. Those are always been audited, always been very important that sort of the audit is kind of the linchpin of the credibility of the financial statements. But now some of the disclosures in the front end, namely the greenhouse gas emissions disclosures that the SEC would require, will also have to be assured. I think that's a great sign that the SEC is really seeing assurance as an important tool to address the investors' concerns about the reliability of disclosures that they've had in the past. And um, it's also consistent with the path that um, European regulators have been taking. So I'll stop there. We can talk more about the details of it, but um, that's the general outline. Sam, that's a pretty good overview. You know, I'm gonna, if you don't mind, I wanna ask you a follow-up question because sure. I'm picking up on the word momentous. And that is my perception as well, because certainly the SEC is going to be incredibly influential from a global standpoint. But given the momentous uh, impact that these proposals could have, is there anything that could jeopardize this timetable? Because the timetable you laid out by the end of 2022, that's pretty ambitious, kind of consistent with my earlier remark and how fast the ISSB is moving. So any thoughts on what could jeopardize that? Well, I think um, certainly that's an aspiration that they've announced that they want to finalize their rule proposal by the end of 2022. So that's what we have to go on right now. It's certainly been common in the past that regulatory timetables can slip. You need to set it, you know, you need to set a target date that could slip. And there are a number of things that could cause them to slip. First of all, they did get a lot of comment. So they are going to carefully go through all that comment. They're required to under the Administrative Procedures Act. They need to address all the comments. That doesn't mean they need to accept all changes that people ask for, but that does mean that they need to give due consideration to all the um, input that they've received and explain what their reaction is to the input, whether they're going to make a change or why they aren't making a change. So that's going to be time consuming. I know they're involved in that right now. Um, it's an enormous job. And then uh, also, you know, there's it's obviously there's some politics going around this issue. So, you know, that can slow things down as well. But the general, um, you know, there, uh, one thing I want to reiterate is there's already been a lot of disclosure 
in this space, it's happening on a voluntary basis. Companies are already making many of these disclosures that the SEC would make mandatory. So it's not like we're, well, I say it's momentous. It really truly is momentous, but it's not like we're starting from a clean slate. We already have disclosure in the marketplace. What we're doing now is kind of going to the 2.0 model where the SEC is stepping in to do what a regulator can do well, which is take information that investors and markets have signaled a need for and implement processes and procedures and requirements that make that information readily comparable. But, you know, from period to period, when a company says something one year and the next year, so that you can have sort of a trajectory and see how the company's progressing, and then also comparable between companies. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that very, very important reliability piece. That's been a major concern of investors. You know, we hear this term greenwashing, where companies are making commitments, saying things, but it's hard to tell how that's really affecting the business model. Is that integrating the business model? What's going to happen? Is the business model going to be resilient as we move through time? That's what investors really care about. And knowing that the company's disclosures have been tested by an independent third party who's brought skepticism and really probed them, that's the unique hallmark of assurance. That's, you know, that's, it's obviously a tool the SEC has had for a long time and has applied it, you know, for 100 years now. We've had audited financial statements. Mm -hmm. We know how that works. Applying that, you know, sort of well-honed tool to these other important disclosures is momentous, but also quite obvious uh, solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to pick up on something that you mentioned with respect to reliability. So I'm going to turn to the group and see, is anyone have any perspective given the multiple constituencies that are involved in the overall standard setting process appropriately? Again, you got FRAG in the European Union, you got the development of the ISSB, you clearly got the SEC, which is which sets disclosure requirements for registrants, US registrants. But what are the risks? And is there a possibility that we nonetheless could have divergence? And what would that mean for companies? So who wants to go first? Yeah, Larry, shall I maybe uh, start with saying where, uh, if if you look where Europe is at, and then maybe make the link to your question, right? As to you know how how we bring it all together, uh, given that we we heard where where the US is in in in, in Europe, uh, as you mentioned, right? AFRAC, the, the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, has been given the mandate by the recently introduced uh, um, Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, a, a piece of legislation to actually set standards for Europe on sustainability. And uh, um, they issued exposure drafts earlier this year, uh, 13 of them. Right, So it's a, a very wide range of standards. Climate is an element of it, but there are four other environmental standards. There are four standards on social topics and two on governance. So it's a very wide range of standards that they are proposing. And uh, they are also moving to in, in a very high pace because they are aiming actually to get their advice to the Commission by November of this year. So they need to, uh, to finish their standards within the next two months or so. Um, so there's enormous pressure on that, and that that time schedule is actually, I think, the uh, the main issue at the moment, uh, because you know that leaves very little time for all these parties to agree on you know a common baseline. But from what we see, uh, certainly there is a good initiative by the ISSB 
to go on both bilateral discussions with the SEC, but also with EFREC in trying to you know, align, especially the climate proposals as much as possible. And also there is a, a group that they have established, which is the, the jurisdictional working group, where they're trying to get also other jurisdictions to all work together to, to try to define a common baseline. Now, I mean, there's huge challenges still out there, Larry, to, to your question, right? But I think uh, definitely there is a significant effort being put in and also a lot of pressure being put on the standard setters themselves to come together and to keep this, you know, as aligned as possible. And uh, certainly on climate, I think uh, that looks reasonably positive. You know, on the on the other topics, there may be more challenge. Well, look, global alignment is top of mind for many of our clients and for companies that basically have to transform their own reporting systems or processes or governance or controls to get the information that's necessary so it can be in a position to be reliably reported, picking up on the word that Sam mentioned, reliable, which is what investors want clearly. That's clearly where uh, KPMG comes in with respect to our responsibility for assurance. So Mike, I'd like to go to you next. I just want to add to what Mark said, and I, I think this is an area that does cause some concern for companies. And, and while there is a lot of commonality, it's the pieces around the edges that aren't. If you take a US public company that has operations within the EU and maybe in another jurisdiction in the world, they may be reporting and aggregating information under all three different frameworks, depending on, on where they're at. And that might mean modifications, it will mean modifications to their aggregation process and making sure that the ESG books of an entity do balance, that the information you're reporting everywhere does add up somewhere to, to equal the whole. So uh, th that's where, where I think there is a level of concern over the current complexities in the, uh, in the environment. So, Sam, I think uh, you, you've talked about this quite a bit as well. So what I want to do is I want to kind of balance off some of the concerns that may be out there legitimately in the preparer community, but also get an understanding for really work that has been done that's yeah. trying to seek global alignment. Can you comment on that? Yeah, sure. And let me just start with, the you know, I think investors feel the same way that, that you're saying companies feel. Investors want global alignment too. I mean, the major asset owners and asset managers of the world are invested in securities all over the world, in the U.S. and abroad. And in fact, I think that's in part what's driving some of the changes in disclosure in the U.S. because um, Europe has been ahead in many ways in terms of in terms of disclosure and investors in U.S. securities, wherever those investors are located, want to make sure that they are able to fill their models with comparable information so that they can, you know, weigh and judge and discern the data to make good investment decisions and stewardship and proxy voting decisions. So, I, you know, I think we all, I think everyone has that same goal of global alignment in place. The SEC, of course, has, you know, in order to fix these, address these problems that we're talking about, consistency and reliability, they've got to come up with their own rules. But the positive thing is the, their proposal is based on the same rootstock that the European and other proposals are based on. And those are the, you know, the, the various um, standards, like the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board standards, the, G, the Global Reporting Initiative standards, the kind of the best of all the private sector experimentation we've seen over the last 10, 15 years is baked into the SEC's proposal. Now, you know, it's focused on climate, as Mark and Mike were saying. I mean, the SEC proposal is narrower than the scope of the proposals and now regulations in Europe. In addition, 
the SEC really borrowed a lot from the Task Force on Financial Related Climate Disclosures or Climate Related Financial Disclosures, sorry. And that's the rootstock for the European disclosures. So there are absolutely differences that are going to bother companies and investors that hopefully over time will be and hopefully not too long of a time, be nailed down because consistency is a foundational goal of the SEC, of investors. I do know the SEC is working very closely with its partner regulators through the independent, the um, organization of uh, securities regulators, IOSCO. And um, through that initiative, they're working on, you know, trying to identify any true needs for things to be different or whether, you know, they can have some disclosures be the same. You know, Sam, I'm really glad that we had you on the podcast today because if you look at myself and Mark and and Mike, we come from clearly an audit and assurance background. So in many cases, that's where our mindset happens to be. But I think what you've done is you have brought to us the investor focus. And in particular, consistency and reliability is something that you've mentioned multiple times and its importance to investors. So I'm going to now segue to a discussion on assurance. So with new standards coming into place imminent, firms like ours have been doing a lot to prepare and to scale up our capacity and our capability to help organizations get ready for ESG assurance requirements and to ensure that we're set up to perform at the highest levels of of quality. So I'd like to get a sense from the group around what the challenges are that you are seeing and experiencing for both organizations that are preparing for ESG assurance requirements and from KPMG and firms like KPMG that are in a position to provide that assurance. So, Mike, I'd like you to start us off on that one. Sure, Larry. So, so if you think about where we're at, for companies that already report sustainability information publicly, much of that reporting has historically been handled by folks that work on a corporate sustainability team. And those folks have generally overseen the process of requesting, aggregating, uh, gathering and reporting selected information and metrics. And they're probably obtaining that information from a broad group of sources within their organization. As those reporting activities become subject to a regulatory process and also more integrated into the financial statements, which we're seeing, the aggregation and reporting of that data will need to be subject to the same rigor as the financial reporting preparation reporting process itself. So that means a comparable level of controls over the external reporting of that data that may not currently exist within an organization's ESG reporting structure. So this in most cases is gonna require new processes, new procedures, controls, new IT systems that most likely will now include more involvement of individuals from the accounting and reporting departments of an organization. That's all gonna take time, and I really highly recommend that all organizations start this process as soon as possible if you haven't already done so. We're helping our clients in all of these areas. Our advisory and tax folks are helping our clients with transformation on ESG reporting, uh, reporting itself, what's the process around that. Our audit practice, that's where we actually are going to be performing the assurance and do perform the assurance, is supporting our client's journey with our recently launched product Ready for Assurance. And Ready for Assurance takes companies through the assurance preconditions to make sure that they're all in place prior to performing the assurance. So it's kind of the first step in the assurance journey. So we're ready, we're we're engaging with our clients and getting ready to start to take them on the journey. One other item that I do want to add that I think is really important for for companies to, to focus on 
is that even as the regulatory requirements migrate from reporting to limited to reasonable assurance, which is very similar to an audit level of, of assurance, organizations need to recognize that limited assurance does not mean limited reporting. So the regulatory environment is going to require and stakeholders are going to expect accurate information to be reported from the beginning. So companies really need to make sure that they're ready with accurate data from day one when they release information publicly to their stakeholders. So Sam, at the beginning of this uh, podcast, when we made the introductions, we talked about your background, your background as a founding member of the PCAOB staff, on the SEC staff and the like, as a securities lawyer. Can you take that background and try and give for us and the people listening to this podcast, what do you think will be the biggest challenge for the regulators? That includes audit regulators and securities regulators. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, honestly, I think that this is, uh, you know, the biggest challenge is probably going to be very similar to the challenge that the accounting firms and companies themselves have. And that is really kind of learn, you know, the skill set, getting training, getting training internally, learning to understand the relationship between sustainability or climate data and the financial reporting to you know understand that through line and how all the disclosure kind of comes together that's going to be very important to make sure that none of this is just an exercise in like just sort of checking the box compliance because if that's the direction that this takes and whether it's taken by companies that way by the audit profession by regulators that you know then we really won't see the value it's going to be very important that people really understand and use and know how to use that use that information. I think the regulators, you know, this is really very healthy and you know, productive for them. They will have to do some quick training. They will have to write standards. Um, there'll need to be new assurance standards even um, to cover this information and cover the assurance engagements of the information. So they'll have to work quickly. But whenever you kind of learn more about new risks, whether it's climate or whether it's cybersecurity or whether it's you know, um, inflation or you, there are just so many risks out there. Once you start digging into them and understanding how those risks affect the business model, how the risks affect the financial performance and results of a company, then you have much better understanding of a company's resilience. The companies can prepare better for the future. So, you know, I think, yeah, there are challenges to learn these skills, but um, it's all doable and absolutely appropriate. So where do we go from here? What are some of the key milestones coming up for the ISSB, as well as other jurisdictions like the U.S. and the European Union, let's say in the near future over the next six months? So, Mark, I want to turn to you first on this question. What do you see are the critical milestones and the next steps towards global sustainability standard setting and assurance? And Sam and Mike, please jump in on this as well. Yeah, so I think uh, for the, the ISSB, the focus will be solely on uh, finishing these first two standards and get them over the line. And uh, uh, and there is the, the balance that they need to find is to make sure that they keep uh, doing this timely uh, because uh, they, they need to, to get these standards out in time, but also that they ensure that they are high quality. So I think that is the, uh, the, the balance that they need to find and that they're working on. But they have announced that they hope to have the, the climate standard and the general requirements standard out early in 2023. So that's the, the thing that would be a significant milestone. I also mentioned uh, Europe. Europe uh, um, is working on its standards, and I think that would be standards that would be coming out in June of next year because they need to be finalized uh, by legislation by June of next year. Um, so there's a lot to be done between 
now and then for the two, you know, to um, to liaise with each other and to, as we said, right, hopefully get to uh, enough alignment. And then you also asked about the, the auditing standards. And uh, I should have mentioned maybe also that in Europe, clearly we will have a requirement for limited assurance also going towards reasonable assurance. And Europe has also announced that it is looking for a assurance standards uh, in the European context by uh, uh, 2025 or six. So therefore it is uh, in, in discussions with the IAASB, the global auditing uh, and uh, center setter and assurance center setter in order to uh, see that they can develop a standard that would also help Europe. So I, we do hope actually that we also see harmonization on the auditing centers front, you know, through the IAASB. You know, obviously the timetable and all the different moving parts to get standards in place, whether it's disclosure auditing, all very important. But I think also it's going to be very important to focus on implementation and having you know, and especially with the regulators and standard setters to focus on monitoring implementation, having good implementation schedules, providing guidance as needed through the implementation process. I mean, these are all standard tools that regulators and standard setters use, but, you know, you can't see the end goal as just getting the standard out. That's really just the beginning, yeah. because once the standard's out, then you have to have a smooth implementation for it to be real, you know, for the, the disclosure to actually be meaningful for the markets, be useful, and then any kind of questions and problems to get those addressed so that people can move forward. You know, Larry, just a couple of things that I'll add on, on top of both both uh, Mark and, and Sam's points. On the ISSB standards, there's also going to be a second phase where individual countries are going to have to approve and adopt those standards. Uh, so countries outside of EU and, and the U.S. will uh, it's expected that they will go on the ISSB journey and adopt those standards as part of their local regulations. When we talk talk about the uh, the implementation of the standards and the practicality of that, I, I, I do think we all need to have a little empathy for each other. You have uh, preparers, assurers, regulators, standard setters. This is all new to everybody. And, and we all need to, we're all working towards the same goal, right? And so we all need to make sure that we do have that little that little bit of empathy for each other and help each other go on this journey together as a group of you know global reporting uh, environment uh, together as opposed to looking at it individually. I think there's a lot that we can do to help each other go on this journey. Mike, that's a great message, and I think it's a great way to close out this podcast. So what I'd like to do is to thank each of you, Sam, Mike, Mark, for joining me today. Thank you for your participation in this, and I look forward to the next podcast in our continuing series. Increasing volumes of ESG-related information are being publicly disclosed, creating the need for independent verification if disclosures are to be trusted and relied upon by stakeholders. This is all representing significant steps towards greater connectivity between sustainability and financial reporting that will help address the information gap perceived by some in climate reporting. We look forward to keeping you posted on the latest developments on ESG Assurance here and via my blog on kpmg.com. Thank you for joining us today for our third episode of the Future of Audit podcast. Until next time.